Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I've got two boys and they were around the ages of three and one when I actually stopped contact with my mum. Um, we had a big blow up on Christmas Day, as families sometimes do, and I'd, I'd simply just had enough. There'd been so many years of, of walking on eggshells and trying not to, you know, disrupt her. I didn't want to anger her. I didn't want to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. So I just finally had enough this day and, and that was it. That's the last time I've seen her. So that was, gosh, 13 years ago. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, 
please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. It's Dawn and welcome to the podcast. Is there one person that you know that could gain some real understanding about themselves and their life, their relationships, their mental health by listening to this podcast? If someone springs to mind right now, please send them a link or let them know about what we're doing here. Every single human on the planet is dealing with some level of trauma. And often it's the people you least expect, the ones who are smiling and putting up this persona to the world that allows them to get through every day. It's the people who are holding it all together better than anyone else. But there is not one person that couldn't gain a better understanding of themselves, of life, of people, of friends and family by hearing what others are going through because it's truth. And when you begin to look for the trauma in other humans, you get such a better understanding of what is going on all around you. When you begin to see it, you realize that everyone is dripping in trauma if they haven't ever looked at it, if they haven't ever acknowledged it. Everyone is just trying to get through with their triggers and their people pleasing and their anger and their playing small. And if you are a regular listener of this podcast, thank you for being here. I appreciate you so much. And if you just got here, thank you for being here. I can't tell you how much it means to me that my audience is growing so much because this topic of childhood trauma can change the world. When we get the message through to everyone about their own trauma, how it's showing up for them in their life, how it's affecting them, their kids, and recognizing the generational patterns and changing the patterns for future generations, just imagine that world when we're not hating on others because they're different to us, because that's a generational conditioned response. When we're not judging everybody else because we're no longer taught to judge. When we're not abusive, manipulative or abandoning of our kids because that's not what happened to us and we can see a better way. It's in the future and it's what drives me every day to keep informing people of exactly what little kids are going through every day in homes all across the world because they are lonely and desperate and lost and we need to do better. If you listen on Apple, please write a review. It will take less than five minutes, but it will help more people to discover what we are doing here. And please share this podcast as much as you can. This week, I'm hearing a story of resilience and healing. Sharon's father left when she was tiny and her mother brought up four kids by herself. Sharon and her mum's relationship was okay growing up, but by the time she hit her 20s, that relationship was strained and it only got worse. Nobody wants to go no contact with their mum. It's not a choice that anybody makes easily. In fact, every woman that I've ever spoken to that has gone no contact with her mother has spent years and years trying desperately to make that relationship work. 
allowing more and more toxicity, allowing themselves to get more and more lost and disconnected from themselves in order to make this relationship work. Because we want it to work and there's no shame in that. Our mothers are supposed to love us unconditionally, but it's not truth for so many women. And so there comes a time when it's no longer possible to keep that relationship going. Sharon has written a book about the resilience it took to get through the trauma and grief and get to a place of healing. It's called Unmasking the Past and you can find a link to buy the book in the show notes. So please go and check that out. And please join me now for Sharon's story. Sharon, welcome to the podcast. You are a designer, an art teacher, and the author of a book called Unmasking the Past. And you also hold beautiful creative retreats, which we will chat about later. But first, let's talk a little bit about your story. You started out life with your mum and dad, but when you were two, your father left. Can you tell us what you know about that time? So obviously I was quite young and don't have a a memory of that time. I only really remember growing up without a father figure present. I have learned a few things through the years, but as you'll sort of hear more in my story, I'm not 100% sure of what is truth and what is lies. I I do see clairvoyance quite regularly, so I have had some, some messages from my father over time, again, what is truth and what is lies I'm not quite sure but from from what they've told me he he just couldn't handle being with my mum anymore right and so how long ago did your father pass away it was around nine years ago perhaps even 10 years ago I haven't seen him since I was 20 and prior to that I hadn't seen him for around 13 years or so so he wasn't a major part of my life. He was, I did see him between the ages of around seven and nine on school holidays. And again, I'm not quite sure why that ended. I don't know why I didn't get to see him anymore. I don't remember any events or arguments or anything like that to have stopped those visits. And then when I was 20, his mother passed away and we went to the funeral. And I remember getting out of the car and seeing him immediately there was a sort of a lot of people out the front of the house and and I just burst into tears just my emotions just took over and I didn't know what to say to him or or anything I hadn't seen him for so long yeah and it must be so difficult as a little child to understand that I mean was it something that you thought about a lot or Um, More as I grew up. So as a younger child, it was just mum and and myself and my three brothers. And that was that was our normal. So, you know, it wasn't really until sort of later in primary school and early high school when I'd be visiting friends, families and see the dynamics in their households and and think, okay, my my family's quite different to everyone else's. Um, It's quite normal these days to have divorced parents and so forth. But back then it really wasn't. So it was really, it was really nice actually to see the dynamics in in my friends' households. Yeah. And so there was just you, your mum and three brothers. Mm -hmm. Is that right? right. Yes, I had three older brothers. And were there ever any other father figures in your life? When I was in grade six, my one of my brothers and myself actually moved up to northern Western Australia. My mum had had a boyfriend for around 10 years 
and we moved up there, followed him up there and they got married. We actually, my mum and my brother and myself moved back home to Melbourne only three months after that. So there was already, you know, issues in their marriage that that quickly. He stayed up there and we moved back down here. He was somewhat of a father figure, but he was more just my mum's partner as opposed to being a father figure to him. And then after that, you know, mum had some boyfriends here and there, but no, no real father figures. There was another man when I was younger, probably around the age of five or so, three, four, five. And he was a father figure. I actually did call him dad apparently when I was young and he told me off for calling him dad. Oh. Yeah. So it was sad, isn't it? It is. It is. When I think back, you know, through all of that, when I was writing my book, it brought up a lot of these thoughts. So I did sort of go quite quite deeply into it but I've you know I've done a lot of healing so (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely and so what was your relationship like with your mum over this time in my childhood it was fine it was great she was sort of like my best friend I suppose very open relationship I could talk to her pretty much about anything and she was very open with what she spoke about as well so I you know I was very young when I learned about sex and you know, things like that. And then it was only as probably in my early teens, it started to get a little strained. And then when I was 20, just before my 21st birthday, one of my brothers was killed in a car accident. And obviously, you know, that changed our whole family. But as a mother, I'm, you know, it completely broke it, which Again, you know, it's very, very understandable. But after that, she was very much a changed woman. There was lots of, you know, I know narcissism is, is spoken about quite often and thrown about quite often, but she genuinely did show her narcissistic side and the relationship between our entire family was strained from then on. You know, she'd, she'd tell my brothers one thing about me and then she'd tell me something about my brothers and sort of try to get us against each other in that way. and. I still look back now. I have no idea why that was done. Mm. So, yeah, so that was very, very strange from then on. And then I had children and my kids, I've got two boys and they were around the ages of three and one when I actually stopped contact with my mum. We had a big blow up on Christmas Day, as families sometimes do, and I'd I'd simply just had enough. There'd been so many years of, of walking on eggshells and trying not to you know disrupt her I didn't want to anger her I didn't want to you know say the wrong thing do the wrong thing so I just finally had enough this day and and that was it that's the last time I've seen her so that was gosh 13 years ago wow yeah so just so you didn't have any real intention of that happening on that particular day but oh gosh no you've just never seen her since then that's huge isn't it it's massive so there was never anything on that day that I thought I that's it I've had enough it was just simply after that day I just chose not to contact her so each day it was a choice not to contact her and it was really not only for my own sanity but it was really for my children yeah I didn't want them to be a part of that situation so the same situation that I'd been in yeah mm. well that's really breaking those trauma bonds isn't it it's breaking Absolutely. generational cycles and making a decision to do something differently for your own kids and it's such a 
a difficult thing to do, but it's incredibly strong and, you know, you're changing the future, I guess. I hope so. I really hope so. It's, it has been really difficult and and particularly in the first year or two, I would constantly be asked by friends or other family, you know, have you spoken to mum? Are you going to see mum? And they didn't understand where I was coming from, that I had made a choice not to see her. And I think they didn't actually understand the, you know, the years of, of issues that had been building up to that particular day. Mm. And I think now that they've read my book, they probably understand a little bit more. And I have had people reach out to say, I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you. And I had no idea that this was happening. And I, I do get more understanding now. But I still on occasion have people ask me if I've seen mum. Yeah. Yeah, it's so ingrained in us, isn't it? That our Mm. mother, our relationship with our mother is everything, the be all and end all. It always has to be good. It always has to be, even when it's really bad, we still have to continue with it. You know, it's this narrative and it's suffocating, I think, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And I've spoken to other people who are in similar situations to me and not that I want everyone to you know to break up with their parents but I I want people to understand that even though their family their blood it doesn't mean that you have to put yourself in a situation where you're constantly hurt or you're constantly walking on eggshells or you're you know you I I would get off the phone every time from my mum and just be so flat and so down and I just couldn't keep living that way and and just because they are family you know, you expect your family to treat you well. You know, we all have disagreements and so forth, but, you know, at the core of their being, we should all be loving each other. Oh, yeah. So, you know, talking to friends or family that have that same situation, I do explain to them that it is very freeing and it is very, um, it's very good for your soul to do what's best for you. And as an adult, we all have that choice. Children, not so much. But as an adult, we have that choice whether to step away, even if it's just for a month, just to, you know, to take a breath and and feel what you should be like yeah. without that person in your life. 100%. And it's such a big thing to change in the way that everybody thinks about things isn't it and I think these messages are starting to come out more and more but it really is you know your the family that you're born into isn't the be all and end all of what you're doing here you know and if it does if it's not working why do you need to stick around you know like if it's really not good for you it's just such an important choice to make and it's all about backing yourself and loving yourself right I mean you've got to do what's right for you in the end. So growing up with that mother, what sort of lessons do you think you learnt from the way that she turned up in the world? I think for me, it it took me until I was 38, 39 to actually really break away from that negative mindset that was ingrained you know, everything that she talked about was, was there was either spite or there was just negativity in, mm. in her tone, in her words, everything. So, and again, this is later in, in our relationship. And so it took me a really long time to, to stop thinking, why me? Why is this going wrong? Why is this happening to me? As opposed to what can I learn from it? 
how can I grow from this? Not the toxic positivity, positivity that everyone talks about, but just being grateful and, and, you know, being happy within yourself. So it's taken me, where am I now? I'm 45 now. So, you know, five to six years, seven years that I've been working on myself in that way to be a much calmer person, more positive, positive outlook, you know, and things happen to me now. They still do. I've got lots of things going on in my life, but my reaction is completely different to what it would have been a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right, it takes time, doesn't it, to... Very much so. It's so ingrained in in us because that's all we see, right? That's all we see growing up. So what about the fact that you grew up without your father and then your mother's sort of different relationships with men? How did that affect you in your relationships? I think I'm still affected, to be honest. So I separated from my husband just before the pandemic, so around two and a half years ago. He's a lovely, great man, but we just simply drifted apart. Prior to that relationship, I had many boyfriends that, you know, there was no real long-term relationships. I was sort of taught that men were almost expendable, that they were there to serve us and, and things like that. So trying to break out of that mindset as well, I think I'm still working on. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah, so, you know, my mum would always dress dress up really beautifully and have her makeup all done perfectly and her hair done. She just looks stunning to go, you know, to go out on dates or out for dinner and so forth. And so I always thought that's what we had to do. I obviously realise now that's not, <laughs> that's not the most important part of a relationship. You don't need to, you know, bring men into your life just for that reason. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's learning, I guess, that it's not all about what other people think, isn't it? It's, oh, 100%. If you're brought up in that way, like your mother's brought up in that way, then that's the way that she's going to pass it down to you. Absolutely. And I'm sure I'm passing things down to my children that they may mm-hmm. write a book about in years to come. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even when you're very aware of what you're doing and you're in that really good place where you're trying to bring your kids up in a really thoughtful way you're trying to do all the right things you're still going to be you're still going to be doing stuff right I mean it's just it's just generational it's been passed down and when you see how oh how hard it is to break that stuff you know it's it's, absolutely it's very hard it is. It's really difficult. My children have gone through their own issues. I lost another brother almost six years ago to cancer and my children were very close to him as was I. So, you know, going through that, I'm currently living in my 39th house. So moved around quite a lot through issues of renting. And so my children now are almost 17 and 14 and have lived in eight or nine houses already. So, you know, they've got their own issues. So I'm sure all of this will affect them as when they become adults. Yeah. So that was a big part of growing up for you, wasn't it? It was just moving a lot. Very much so. The longest I've been in a home is six years and I've done that twice. So every, you know, I've I've had recently, I've, I've moved five or six times in the last five years. And again, it's not my choice. It's landlords wanting to sell or or for whatever reason. 
so it's it's very difficult that moment of when I get a letter or a phone call from the real estate or the landlord and then I have to break the news to my children and it's just horrible absolutely horrible but I hope that it is building resilience within themselves that's right I mean life isn't perfect it depends on how you yourself deal with it with them you're obviously thinking about it and you're trying to make it the best it can be but how was it for you as a little kid how did you feel in terms of did anybody care that you know you were miles away from your school did you feel that anybody cared about that stuff I don't have any really negative memories of moving house when I was younger. The first the first big move, I had to change primary schools when I was in grade one and then again in grade six. So in grade six, I went to three primary schools. So those two were quite, quite difficult for me because I was leaving my friendship group. And then in high school, I moved, gosh, I couldn't tell you how many times, but I, I, basically said to mum at that stage I was strong enough to say I'm staying at the same high school regardless of where we live I'm staying at the same high school and I'm forever grateful that I did that because I'm still great friends with my close friends from high school now so and I actually still even have a friend from grade two when I went to that new primary school I did I did understand at that stage that I needed to make something stable in my life and for me that was staying at the same school and As little kids, that's just our normal. But looking back on that time, without having your dad there, were there feelings of disconnect and loneliness or how did that play out for you at that time? Very much so. You know, changing schools is is difficult at any age. You know, I felt like I was always the new kid. I felt like I didn't belong. Even through high school, actually, I kind of floated about different groups of friends and, and just didn't quite feel like I was settled. And I'm sure that comes back to my home life. So even though I stayed at the same high school, for instance... I still just felt so unsettled because I was moving house so often, you know, and friends, <laughs> friends got to know to actually put my address in pencil eventually <laughs> when we used to have little address books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. So what was your mental health like as a teen? Looking back, I think I probably started suffering depression when I was around 12. It was undiagnosed truly until I was probably 40. So it was just something because my mum suffers from mental health issues as well. It was, again, that was my normal. So I just dealt with it and my friends could see that something was wrong, but back then that wasn't talked about. No one really understood what was going on. Mm. So there was a lot of time during my high school years that I would sort of step away from friends and, you know, be really quite down. You know, in my later teens, I thought of suicide numerous times never really did anything about it there was a small very minor amount of self-harm but again I you know put on the brave face and just continued on my friends tell me now that they look back and and think that I was just the strongest person but inside I absolutely wasn't so you know from then on I've really suffered mental health issues depression mainly for, for all of that time and eventually after my brother David passed away in 2016 that's when I actually sought professional help and it's been life-changing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, losing two brothers. That's, Mm. that's a lot, isn't it? It's incredibly hard. I still, 
you know, I still think about them every day. My brother Warren died in 1997 and still every day I think about him. I still think about my mum every day too, but I've grieved that loss as well. But whilst losing my eldest brother David more recently is, isn't different to losing Warren. I've lost two brothers, but our relationship was so much stronger because we'd had our adulthood together as well. And he also has four children and a lovely partner that, you know, it just devastated me that, you know, he was gone so soon. How have you got through that grief? What, what are the most important things around healing through grief? I think for me, it was really because I'd also been through it before. The first time was much harder. You know, I'd lost grandparents and so forth, but it's not quite the same as losing a sibling. The first time I spent a good year um, out of control, I would go out, you know, two or three times a week and just get ridiculously drunk. And it, it took one, one moment of where I basically had a breakdown and just said, I've got to stop this. Being older, when my eldest brother passed away, I was I was much more adept at actually dealing with my feelings at that stage. So it's one of those things where, you, you know, you really just need to allow that feeling to sit with you. You know, grief doesn't end. I still grieve my brothers, but it's different. I can actually sit and think about them with a smile now rather than breaking down and crying. Time does help heal, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that they're gone. So really you do just need to sit in your feelings, allow them to be there and, you know, and eventually you have to say, okay, this is here. It's time, it's time for that grief to go or that, you know, the real deep grief. I've, I've thought about all of this. I'm feeling all of this. It's time now for me to move on. And it's not, it's not moving on. It's moving forward really you still have that grief within you, but you're able to deal with it better on a day-to-day basis. I found a lot of people around me didn't talk much about it and I think that was really difficult for me. So I, I, I much prefer people to actually come and say, I don't know what to say to you because you still know that they're thinking about you. Mm-hmm. So rather than saying nothing, just to actually hold my hand or give me a hug or say I'm so sorry, I just, I don't know what to say or do. And then I can open up and, and tell them, that's okay, I know you're here now. Yeah. So that's, it's so much better than silence. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it is, it's so hard, isn't it? Like we just, we do sort of freeze up and think, oh, whatever I say is not going to be enough. But in the end, just, just being able to say that, you know, I don't know what, what to say. And I know I've said that myself in yeah. different situations because that's the truth right we don't exactly we don't know what your pain is we can't there's nothing we can really do to help so we it is that sort of freeze thing of oh I just won't do anything exactly Um, and and particularly for people that have not suffered grief themselves you know Mm. some people are fortunate enough not to have lost someone but you know, I've, I've been through a fair amount of grief in my life, so I, I'm possibly more capable of actually approaching someone. But at the same time, like I said, just saying that you don't know what to say means the world. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, absolutely. And just going back to you as a teenager, was there anybody at all in your life that you were able to talk to or confide in? Not really. I didn't, at that stage, you know, my mum had lost her mum as well. I was around 17 when she lost her mum and she fell into a deep grief then and a deep depression then as well. So I didn't know how to support her at that stage. You know, I'd speak to friends, but not really about the depression and just be more about, you know, the the day-to-day things going on. And like I said earlier, you know, mental health wasn't really talked about back then. And still now there's still a stigma surrounding it. But I talk on podcasts and I wrote my book to help break that stigma because most of the population will suffer from it at some stage in their life. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think are the, the main ways to sort of overcome depression? What have you found to be the main that works best? For me, I'm on medication, so I'm on an antidepressant and I know that I'll likely be on that for the rest of my life. That doesn't bother me at all because I know if I happen to miss a day or two of that medication, I'll end up teary and, and it won't be for another day where I think, oh, that's why. <laughs> so it still affects me every day. I'm happy to be on medication because I know that makes my life more balanced. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that everyone needs to go on medication, but to just seek help, start with your GP, go and seek help, you know, try to find those close people around you that you can confide in and get support from and find a, a psychologist that you feel comfortable talking with. Yeah, and that's such good advice because there is this sort of weird stigma around taking a medication, which mm-hmm. I've never really understood because, I mean, we're happy to take a medication for anything, you know, in our bodies. But for some reason, when it's to do with our mental health, it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, if that's what you need, I mean, it's really just the chemicals in your brain, isn't it? No. Exactly. And, and that's they're out of balance. Too. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if you had a broken arm, you'd go and get it set. If you've got a heart condition, you'd take medication. So why not for your brain? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one that's never really made sense to me, I have to admit. But So when do you think in all of this that there was a turning point in just the way you thought about life? You've sort of come from this depressed state. At what point did you feel like there was a turning point for you? 
I think after my brother David died, I started to do a lot of work on myself, a lot of research, a lot of reading, you know, the self-help books. I started seeing a spiritual healer as well. So I'd go and get angel healings and which were just fabulous. I'd, I'd walk out quite drained, but the next day I'd feel on top of the world. I started meditating, journaling, all of the things that people talk about these days. And then I, I went on a retreat, a women's retreat in Fiji, just before the pandemic so it was in Feb of of 2020 so I was very fortunate to have been able to go there and the women that I met there and the experiences that I had really did change my life. One of the ladies does a workshop called an emotional detox and so you'd there was I think five five emotions that you'd work through whether it was sadness and you know grief and fear and things like that and you would visualize yourself floating above your life's timeline and go back to the first time that you felt fear or the first time that you felt scared and things like that and you'd actually drop into that situation and and visualize what was going on around you and this this really impacted me because most of the things that I dropped into I realized were happening around me it was not not my fault that these things were happening and it wasn't to me (laughs) These things didn't happen to me, they were around me. And that really helped me grow and understand that, you know, all of, all of the things that happen around me in my life aren't my responsibility. My responsibility is to respond in not only a positive manner but a responsible manner as well, something that's good for my soul. So as soon as I can balance out my own soul and and feel comfortable within myself and calm within myself, then I can deal with the things that happen to me in my life. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I love that. I mean, I think as little kids, we, we do believe that anything that happens around us is to do with us and it's our fault almost. I mean, the amount of people I've spoken to just on the podcast whose parents divorced and they thought that it was their fault for their whole life you know just that one realization it can be quite life-changing can't it absolutely absolutely so even you know I moved house again three months ago and whilst it was really one of the most horrendous moves I've had you know I still just had to step up and say you know what I can't actually change what's happening to, to some degree So I need to change what's happening within myself. I need to change my thoughts. I need to change how I react to how how it makes me feel. So, so many things have happened in the last five years where I have just simply, you know, taken a deep breath and thought, okay, that's happened. I'll deal with it this way and I'll move forward. Whereas previously I just would have lost it. (laughs) You know, there'd be days of crying and just, you know, the why me and, and all of that. So... I really have, you know, my vibration is so much higher and my calmness is just so much more incredible than it ever was. Yeah. How have you learned to change the negative into a positive? What do you actually do in those situations? So it's, I think it's a build-up of time and a build-up of growth that, that has enabled me to now just calmly say it's happened, you know, I can't change the past. All I can do is change how I move forward. So once, once I got that mindset of, of understanding that whatever has happened is unchangeable, that 
that was a, a game changer for me. Being able to move forward, not not being stagnant in that negative mindset, not being stagnant in whatever difficult moment that was, and just actually letting it go. And it does. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. And it's constant. It's a constant journey. <laughs> it's a constant learning and constant growth. And I try to do something every day that that helps that growth. Yeah. So that you're talking about your meditation and and those sorts of things as well. That's right. And for me, I'm a very creative person, so I use a lot of that as my meditation as well. So I can. I can really get into a state of flow if I'm drawing or painting and, you know, just let the thoughts go. You know, they're constantly the mind's always racing. There's always something popping in, but just saying, okay, I've heard you now just leave for a moment. I'm having, I'm having a break yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and letting it go. It sounds, it sounds simple, doesn't it? And it's so oh. not simple. <laughs> <laughs> having sat with my thoughts for many years and it's like, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm so much better at it now, but the same thing you do over time, you learn to just speak to yourself in a way that allows you to let those things go because we can't change the past. And so many people are so entrenched in sitting in that mm-hmm. past and it's such a waste of our lives. You know, having done it myself, I can speak from my own experience. You just have to, you've got to whatever it is just find that way to do it for yourself because we're all different so we we're all going to find a different way to do it and tell us how important that creative element is in your life oh for me you know I've I've held a pencil since I could (laughs) so from a very very young age I've always been drawing or or painting or writing poetry or, or doing some creative thing and I now, so I run kids art classes now too, and I was really surprised actually how much I got out of it, <laughs> being able to sit there and, and, you know, impart my knowledge to these beautiful young minds. But for me, I, I can sit down and, and paint just from the mind, whether it's just some abstract thing. I find that's really great to get some emotion out, you know, whether it's anger or happiness, it can depend on your colours and your brush strokes. You know, I put on some music and I did a a portrait of a a beautiful African woman that I met in Fiji a couple of years ago. And, you know, I put on some beautiful African beats while I was painting and really got into it. And for me, that's, that's like a meditation for me. For some people, it could be exercise, it could be gardening, cooking, anything. You've just got to find something that actually works for you. But, you know, I'll, I'll sit down and I try to keep learning things, so learning new techniques and my mind loves to learn. So, again, that's where I, I focus on to try and, and continue learning, continue growing, whether it's spiritually, whether it's creatively. You know, I can sometimes just sit down even if I'm watching TV and just do a little sketch or just a little doodle of some sort and that just helps to calm my mind. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you've managed to maintain that throughout all of everything that's happened because often, especially as adults, we give all those things away. We don't spend time being creative. And I think we think it's just something we did as kids. Like we, even when we love that stuff you know even when we really loved it and I think that it's a lot of it is around an expectation that it has to be something you know like we have to be like the the artist or you can't just write 
something out it's got to be amazing you know it's that competitive kind of thing that we're told and if you're not great at it well don't bother with it I guess realistically it's something that we really should bring into our lives just for the joy and the you know the beauty of it very much so and I think there is a lot of kids that was probably stamped out of because they weren't any good or things like that the same with sport or anything you drop out of a club because you're not doing very well and at the end of the day that is really not the most important thing the outcome has nothing to do with the actual journey of creating something and again you know it could be building something that's still a creative outlet but for me you know painting is really the thing and um, in my retreats I get a lot of people that come in that don't that don't paint or painted 20 years ago and stopped because life got busy and there's that perfectionism in them that scares them from starting again and you know for me some of my paintings turn out far differently than what I anticipated at the beginning and I find there's there's no real mistakes in art you can actually create anything go over it if you have to you know you can continue building upon a, a painting or a drawing to make it different again so one of the tips I have is to actually paint something and then every day for seven days paint over it oh wow paint something different over the top you might keep elements of the previous day but you're creating something new every day and you'll see from the start to the finish how much you can evolve even just in seven days oh I love that that's that's really cool I like that and I liked what you said about it's not the outcome but it's the journey Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That it's it's actually, I mean, that that's the truth. Absolutely. And like I said earlier, for me, it, it's, you know, you get into a state of flow when you're creating and, and that is very much like a meditation. So it's the same, the same calmness that you get in your mind. Mm-hmm. And if you don't actually put that perfectionism into it or it must be like this or that colour doesn't work, just let that go and just see what happens. Mm. And one that, that does the workshops that I run actually come away with a big smile on their face because they've actually finished something. Mm. You know, in our daily life, a lot of the time we don't, we certainly don't paint because it's messy and you've got to pack up and all of this sort of stuff. But if you actually finish something, that satisfaction is just so wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for myself, I've always wanted to paint. And over the years I've bought stuff and, and I've done the odd course here and there, but I think it is that perfectionism thing. And I love the idea that people can come to your retreat and they've got you there to just allow them to sort of run free, I guess. So tell us about those retreats. So I actually got the idea for these retreats while I was in Fiji. So I was lucky enough to have Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, as the keynote speaker. And it was in her first keynote, in the first few minutes, I've still got my notebook where I've actually started writing ideas for this retreat. And I wanted to bring some of the experience that I had in Fiji to people, but doing the things that I love. And so for, for me, that's that's creating and meditating. And so I bring in my spiritual healer actually comes in and does the meditations. I have a dear friend that's a shiatsu masseuse. And so she comes in and gives participants massage to help calm them and then I run art workshops throughout the weekend and it is very very freeing and I do I do allow the participants to actually just just go for it 
if I see that they're getting stuck or if I see that they're not sort of doing much, I'll jump in and I'll, I'll talk to them about what's holding them back. And so sometimes, you know, I've had participants crying because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to actually start. So then we'd stop and I'd show them little exercises to get them going. And again, watching that progress from the start of the workshop to the end is so satisfying for me. So I do, I really get a lot out of it. But, you know, seeing, seeing the participants, particularly those that have never painted before, or, you know, not since they were kids, to actually see them create something that they're proud of is, yeah. it's just so beautiful. Oh, I love that so much. And it's interesting that you say someone's standing there in tears. It's that pressure, isn't it? Like, absolutely. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, because they've got an idea in their head of what it should be yeah. rather than just letting it go, letting, yeah. you know, letting the paint come out and, and also being happy with what you're producing in a way that's not judgmental. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your book for a moment. It's called Unmasking the Past and it's a story about resilience and healing through the power of positive thinking. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? So the book actually came about, I at the start of 2021, I received DNA test results that had a very unexpected outcome for me. So just stepping back briefly, the year before, so this is in 2020, I actually connected with a half-sister. Now, I'd known about her since I was around 10 years old but had no way of finding her. She had done a DNA test on ancestry.com.au and had connected with my father's side of the family. Through that, she was able to find me. She didn't actually know I existed and... Taking a step back even further, so my my brothers, there's three fathers to the four children. So my two eldest brothers had different fathers and then my brother Warren and myself had the same father. So she, Cheryl, didn't know that I existed nor that Warren existed. Within half an hour of actually getting that message that, you know, she wanted to contact me, we were on the phone. We talked for about two hours, which was incredible. It felt like we'd known each other forever. Sadly, though, I had to explain to her that she did have a brother as well and that he had passed away. So that was really difficult. Eventually, in November of 2020, once restrictions eased, I was able to visit her and she showed me her page, her webpage on Ancestry with the DNA breakdown. And so that actually fascinated me seeing, seeing there's a little pie chart that shows you of the different countries where your heritage is. And I thought that was amazing. So I thought, I'm going to do this test too. And then in January, the following year, I finally got the test results and I've opened the email and, you know, I've clicked on it and I wasn't connected to her and I wasn't connected to my father's side of the family. And at first I thought they had the wrong results, perhaps they tested someone else and given them those results to me eventually I discovered through the people that I was linked to that my mother's side of the family was definitely there but there was nothing from my father's side of the family so in that moment so this is a year and a half ago I found out that my father wasn't actually my father oh my God. So that event prompted me to write the book I had been told for many years that my life is a little like a Netflix series with everything that goes on and that I should write a book so once this actually happened I decided that that's it I'm sitting down now and I'm going to write this so I started writing it around February March last year and had it in my hand in July so I just powered through and 
you know, it all, all just flowed out of me. Each chapter talks about a different event generally in my life. So I've got a chapter about my father and my father figures, a chapter about my mother, a chapter about my two brothers that have passed away. I talk about sexuality. I talk about mental health and physical health. And I also talk about, you know, changing schools and having to move so often. So all of those major events in my life that have created some some grief, some negative aspect. And then I talk about how I've healed myself from those. The last chapter actually talks about each individual thing that I've done specifically and then asks the reader questions themselves so they can start on their own journey if if they choose to. Wow, that sounds amazing. And just going back, can I just ask you then, how did your half-sister find you if you're not connected? So she had connected to my dad's brother. They didn't know that I wasn't actually his daughter. So when they connected, they knew that I was actually looking for Cheryl as well. So when Cheryl connected with my uncle and my cousin, my cousin then contacted me. Ah, I see. So there wasn't a DNA element to that connection? No, there was no no connection to me in that because I hadn't done a DNA test at that stage either. Right, Right. So it wouldn't have connected to me immediately from her end. Wow. Yeah. So do you have any idea of who your father is? No. So I actually, after I I spoke to a couple of my aunties to see if they knew anything about it and they didn't. This is on my mum's side of the family. And then one of my aunties offered to call my mum to see if she would open up at all about it. My mum basically abused her to no end and said, don't ever contact me again and hung up. A few days after that, so you've got to imagine, obviously this is all happening within a week or so of me getting the test results. My mind's going quite crazy. I was was shocked but not surprised at the result, to be honest. And it was about a week later or so that I actually bit the bullet and I rang my mum myself. So I hadn't spoken to her for 12 years at this stage or seen her. And the first thing she said to me was, what do you want? And I, you know, I was, I was so proud of myself of how calm I was throughout the conversation because normally I would have cried or yelled or been upset the same way that she is. So I basically just went on and, and said, well, I've, I've done this DNA test and it shows that my dad wasn't my dad. Do you know who my dad is? Is there, what, do, what have you got to say? And she basically just went on and said how stupid I was for, for doing the test and that the test was all wrong and he was my dad and 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 then she went on to blame me for all sorts of things throughout my life and I you know I basically ended the call just saying well clearly you're not going to be honest with me this is the last time you'll hear from me and we ended the conversation oh my gosh Mm. so I don't I don't know who my dad is and it's likely I never will But I haven't had a father throughout my life, so I don't feel like I'm really missing out on anything. Mm. It would be amazing, obviously, to have a happy ending and meet someone, you know, who I'm able to form a relationship with. But at the end of the day, it's it's no different to what my life has already been. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And who knows? I mean, once you're in ancestry DNA or one of those... I think there's a few different ones, but yes, if you're, when you're once you're in there, I mean, the chances of somebody finding you 
it doesn't even have to be your actual father it can be anybody related right that's um, right that's right it shows you know I've, I'm, I've connected with a sixth cousin who lives in England and is writing her own book and so you know I'm making connections there and which is really lovely I did actually end up having one of my nieces so my eldest brother David I had his eldest child do a DNA test as well to see if we were half auntie or full auntie because I had a suspicion at one stage that his dad may be my dad but it did come back that I was a half auntie to her so that sort of cross that one out so I really have no avenue now to investigate who my father could be yeah mm. well interesting yes with the technology now and you just don't know what's going to happen in the future and what what might come up and it's kind of interesting I guess to always have that there as a possible in the future something to find Absolutely. out <laughs> and and going back to the clairvoyance one of them so after I'd had the DNA test one of them you know had brought that up and had said that your dad still absolutely loves you and is still your dad so that was really nice to hear but she also said now this is probably two years ago and she'd also said that I will find my dad in around five years so I still have that in the back of my mind but I don't hold on to it <laughs> yeah oh, awesome well who knows exactly um, it's an adventure <laughs> that it is so Sharon tell us where we can find your book where we can find your retreats and how can people reach out to you so you can find my book at unmaskingthepast.com.au and for my retreats they're called artfulness retreats so artfulnessretreats.com.au I'm on Facebook and Insta as well so I'm very easy to find online <laughs> awesome oh thank you so much for sharing your story today you're truly amazing in everything that you've been through it's just been such a journey and thank you for just sharing all of the details of it if you're listening to this please go and find unmasking the past because Sharon's story is something that needs to be heard in full and just thank you so much for connecting with me today and sharing your beautiful light thank you so much for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.